God has just placed something on my heart in relation to uh, this season, this season of, of, we call it Christmas, or celebrating the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The thing that I was thinking about these last few days is, and I'm using this as a subject, where does Jesus fit in? We're talking about our lives, the equations uh, that, that we are dealing with. What place, what place does he occupy within our lives? And I would venture to say that that requires some introspection. It, it requires us to begin to think about uh, how we value him and the place that he occupies. You know, as I've said and many others have said, that our lives are, are, are comprised in such a way that there is a, somebody said, a Jesus-shaped void that resides within our souls. A Jesus-shaped void. And nothing in life can fill that void other than Jesus Christ. And when I say that, I'm not saying our perception of him, but the way he truly is. It's a matter of knowing him and allowing him to fill that void based upon who he is so that we find fulfillment in life. We find purpose in life once we, as we grow to know him and his life becomes our life. We allow Christ to live his life in us and through us. Something else uh, the Lord was saying to me now, and I say this to the congregation, that we are just one prayer away from a breakthrough. I just wanted to say that prophetically. We're just one prayer away from breakthrough. I believe that, that, that this need for Christ, this desire to know Him, this passion that resides in every heart, even though they don't know that they're seeking after Him, they're trying to fill their lives with all kinds of things, but I believe that as we pray, as we pray, church, listen to me now, as we pray, it's, it's going to, hearts will be prepared through prayer. I, I realize it doesn't just happen through conversation. It doesn't happen through our wishing for it to happen, but there's something that happens as we begin to pray for, for souls, begin to pray for the lost, begin to pray that God will find an entryway into hearts, that uh, God shows up and he makes his presence known even in the lives of people that will surprise us. Some of the most hardened individuals, we find them coming to know the Lord. Now, there's a Christmas song that we sing, and you know, a joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart, what does it say? Prepare him room, and then it goes on to say what? And heaven and nature sings. Let's break that down for a moment. Let's begin to look at what God is saying to us in relation to this particular song. I like those old songs because they're so full of insight and revelation of Christ that oftentimes we just kind of scan through them. In fact, these songs we say, I would sing them. I don't remember a time when I didn't, I hadn't heard that song because we heard it uh, all of our lives. But yet to understand the full meaning of that song or that particular part of the song, 
I believe we've not really come to that place of being able to comprehend it all. But in this, I began to look in the Scripture to understand this particular song, and the Scripture that aligns itself with it is right here in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8 and verse 19. Romans chapter 8 and verse 19. I want you to pay attention to what the Lord is saying to us in relation to the fact that we have joy that has come to the whole world because the Lord Jesus Christ understand that, that the eternal has invaded the temporal. The eternal has invaded the temporal. That which was the sinful state of humanity, the sinful state of the world, has been invaded with righteousness and holiness and truth, justice, all that God is, entered into the world when Jesus Christ came. So let's look at that here in Romans chapter 8, verse 19. It says, for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the son of, sons of God. Now when it says the sons of God, it's talking about those of us who realize the Son of God and become, and we are, we become uh, those that become sons or mature ones as a result of our knowledge of Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God, but then his objective is to bring many sons to glory. Many sons to glory. In fact, that's his own objective. It's not for you to just come to church. It's not for you just to occupy a, a, a position here, but it is to lead you into sonship. We talk about coming into spiritual sonship, mature ones. That's why it's important. We hear the word of the Lord. We grow in grace, knowledge of the Lord. This is not, you see, the more you hear the word, the more you exercise your faith in that which you're hearing, it will bring you to the place of you grow into sonship. We grow into sonship. And we talk about the sonship that develops within us. He brings many sons to the fulfillment of our purpose and intent, that which God has, uh, God intends for us to develop into becoming. We mentioned there's a Jesus-shaped void in every life because we have not reached this place of fulfillment. There's a purpose and a plan for God for everybody's life. There's something, you weren't just born to live. You weren't just born to exist, rather. You were born to live a life that's pleasing unto the Lord. So now it says, many sons to glory, many sons to glory, but the earnest expectation of all creation. Look at our effects now. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. The expectation of all the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God, for the creation was subjected to futility. Listen to this word futility here. That it says that the whole creation was brought under I would say it, it, it was arrested. Are you saying this now? It was arrested and it's, I would say, it, it, it cannot function the way God desired for 
the th creation to function. That's why you have decay and ruin. That's why things happen that happen, because the whole creation is brought to this place of futility. God's intention was not for creation to function the way creation is functioning right here and now, but it is brought into subjection. In other words, it, it too, as we are, folk, uh, we are frustrated because we are not able to fully express our purpose. We're not willing, we're not postured to really express our purpose. There's something that God has for you that's much greater than you're doing right now. Are you hearing me? God has a purpose and intent for your life that's much greater. Praise God that He permits us to see what we're seeing and to do what we're doing, but God ain't, he, He's sad, I'd say He's pleased when any effort is made towards doing what He's called us to do. But He wants to bring us to a place where our efforts please Him. You, you see, understand what He said about Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ uh, was baptized, uh, it said that the Spirit getting uh, the light upon him like a dove, and we heard the voice come from heaven and said, this is my beloved son. He didn't say who, he said, he didn't say who pleases me, but in whom I am well pleased. When he said well pleased, he said, he completely satisfies my heart. <laughs> Listen to what God is saying to us. Can you imagine that, to be at a place where the Lord will say to us, you don't just please me because you put forth an effort to do what I want you to do. But you're doing exactly what I have desired for you to do. He said, you are expressive of my heart. You are an expression of my love. I, I, I want people to know my love. I want them to know who I am. I want them to know uh, my love. And the only way for them to know my love is that I must have sons. Now, we're not talking generically. We're not talking male and female now. You see, I must have sons. I think it was uh, one, one person said, don't, don't get upset with us now, ladies, because, because uh, I think Bishop Mitchell said it. Some others said it too. He said, don't get upset, ladies, because we said sons, because we are brides. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm a, I'm a bride of Christ, so if I'm going to be a bride, you can be a son of God. <laughs> Is that all right? Is that all right? All right. So, brides, uh, you male brides of Christ, and I'm still masculine. That doesn't take away from my masculinity. I'm a bride of Christ, and you, ladies, you're a son of God. How's that? How does that sound? Okay, let us go on. Let's go on. So, now, he's bringing us. He's going to reveal his sons. He said, because we said all the creation is held in futility, not willingly, but because of him. The Lord arrested the development of nature, who subjected it in hope. He arrested the development of nature so that nature could not express what nature would express in a fallen state. You have been arrested so that that which letteth that which allows or permit, you see, has, you see, the Holy Spirit has, has arrested your expressions of the hostilities and the hatred and the animosities that you had towards the Lord. Did you know the Holy Spirit did that in your life? If you, uh, we didn't even know what's there. We didn't know how much we hated God. I'm talking about me now, you see. So it applies to me, it applies to all of us. 
that we despise God because God would let us do what we wanted to do. We wanted to have our way. We wanted to do our own thing. We wanted to move in our own direction. And you best believe the Bible talks about foolishness bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction drives it far from him. So you let a child have his own way or her own way. What do you think that child's going to eat? What do you think that child's going to sleep? What do you think that child's going to do? Just, just being, you see, how will that child behave if that child did not have guidance, parental guidance? Huh? That child would be wild, wouldn't he? Or she? Be a wild child. So what happens, uh, you must place restrictions upon that child's behavior so that that child could not do what the child, and it's really self-destructive. If the child is left to himself, he would self-destruct because he can't take care of himself. So God takes care of us the same way, but he also corrects us because he knows that our, wayward, our waywardness would be our destruction. It would be our demise. So now, let's look at it. So he holds us with hope. He said, one of these days you're going to grow up. He said, one of these days you're going to grow up. I, I'm not going to let things work the way you'd like them to work. I'm going to let things turn out the way you'd like them to turn out. He said, as much as you'd like to see this thing happen, you'd like to see that thing happen, other things happen. He said, I'm not going to let it turn out that way. And you say, Lord, I, I, my, my perception of you is that you, you, I thought you were a good God. I thought you would, I thought you would bless and your blessings. He said, he said, no, I'm blessing you, but I'm not letting you do what you want to do by letting you have what you think you need to have or what you want to have. He says, sometimes, you see, so I'm holding things back. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm arresting your behavior, your activities, because I have a hope for you. I have a hope for you that will take you far beyond your fondest dreams, far beyond anything that you could possibly in this life ever imagine. How could you imagine... That's the kind of trust we must have in God, that, that God, you see, I don't know, but God knows. I don't know which way to go. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to turn, but God knows. Now, I'm headed somewhere in this. So, he upholds everything in futility with hope, but he says, not willing, willingly, but because of him who subjected in hope, because, and then he says, because the creation itself also one day will be delivered from the bondage of corruption. Did you hear those words? The bondage of corruption. I want you to say that with me. The bondage of corruption. So it is saying that the thing that has controlled our lives, the thing that I would say that dictates policy to us, we are really in bondage when we think that we are free. The enemy who blinds the minds of individuals and make them think that they are free. You're free to do as you please. You're free to act any kind of way you want to act. You're, do, you're free to do with your body whatever you desire to do with your body. And you call that freedom? We mentioned a child left himself will bring his Shame to his mother, to his father, and the Bible talks about how that child, even when he begins to move, he must receive 
direction and construction and, and, and instructions. So now he is saying that, that, that it is the bondage of corruption. Let me just take a step and help you understand this bondage of corruption again. It is really saying, in essence, let's look at the whole picture, because you've got to see it from eternity's perspective to understand it within time. Do you realize the body, things would not rust or corrupt if it had not been for the bondage of corruption? You see, in other words, you wouldn't even get sick. You wouldn't even die. Death itself, you see, your, your body would not grow old. God's intention for humanity was not for us to grow old. His original intent was not for you to grow old. That ache and pain that you feel in your body, you know why it's there? The bondage of corruption. You can't, you see, some of you can't get around like you used to get around. You, you can't do the things you used to do. You can't, you see, you can't even think the way you used to think. Mind, you see, you get mind fog. <laughs> and you say, what's going on here? The bondage of corruption. But you have to take it back and trace it back to its origin. Trace it back to its origin. It is saying, in essence, you see, the, the earnest expectation of all creation is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God who will be used by God to deliver nature from the bondage of corruption because we ourselves will be delivered from the bondage of corruption. Are you still with me? Are you still with me? So now let's look at this. He says, he says, so now we begin to see it because there's a hope that lies ahead. Now, this hope now requires faith. I believe God. I trust in the Lord. My focus is upon Him. So now it takes away from this thing. It's not ethereal where we just think we're just coming up with some pipe dream where we say to set your sights on things above above where Christ is, where Christ is seated, and not on the things that are beneath. Because now we understand that where Christ is, there is no corruption. Where Christ is, there is no, you see, all these things, there's no futility, but our hope is in Him. It is the one who has the power to deliver us. Now, let's go further in this. Let's go further than this. He says, so he will deliver us from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So that now we begin to act like sons of God. We begin to recognize our Father. We begin to recognize where we came from, our origin. In this day, people are trying to find their identity. Who am I? Who am I? Where, where did I come from? Where are my roots? And understand that becomes, that in of itself becomes an exercise in futility if we don't go far enough. Well, my grandpapa was this way. My great grand you didn't go deep enough. Let's go all the way back to Adam. Let's go all the way back to the garden. Let's go all back to the fall. And then you understand the origin. I was telling somebody yesterday, we were talking about, I preached about bloodlines yesterday and, and my, the, the, the celebration of my grandson. But uh, I, I was talking to someone in the, in, in, while we were eating, and I said, I said, my bloodline does not stop at my great, 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 great grandfather. 
It goes all the way back to Adam. I said, so we have a common, we have a common ancestry. We all came from Adam. We, so if we all came from Adam, we all, we have his blood within our bloodline. So we all have sin in our bloodline. So if we, if we really want to go back and trace it and understand why we behave the way we behave, act the way we act, we have to retrace our bloodline. So now, understand when he says that, so if we were born of Adam, we must be what? Born again. <laughs> you see, if we were born of Adam, if we are of the ancestry of Adam, we must have a new beginning. We must have a new ancestry. And the only way for that to occur, we go back to the Scripture, there, there has to be a new origin, and that new origin is in Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about the hope that we find in Him and the purpose of His birth. I'm, I can't wait to get to that, but understand, now we become children of God. We become sons and daughters. We become a part of the family of God and the household of faith. He says, so, for we know, and, and then, and I won't say that all know, but let me talk to saints now. We know. We know. Don't take that as a general statement. Everybody knows because if everybody knew, everybody would function in such a way as if they knew. <laughs> but he says, for we know, I trust, trust as you're being educated, as you're being instructed, that you can be a part of the people that know. For we know, we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. That we groan. In other words, dissatisfaction is different from the dissatisfaction that resides in the hearts of the unbeliever. They're dissatisfied because they have settled for a lifestyle beneath the glory of God. They have settled for behavior that does not please God. That's the level that they have settled in on. That this is who I am, and this is where I am, and this, this is what I believe. So therefore, the world will tell you that you are this, or you are that, or you are the other. And what do you say? Amen. You say, you are just a this, or you are just a that. Your identity then is, it, it, it is imposed upon you by the culture. And then your experiences and behavior supports that. And then you say, well, I, well I, if it quacked like a duck, if it looked like a duck, it must be a duck. So that's who I am. And we see that all the time. People that act a particular way and then they embrace that as their identity. And God said, that's not who you were intended to be. That's what you're expressing because you're expressing out of your fallen nature that which God did not intend for you to give expression to. He says, so now, what this groaning is taking place is that even though the tendencies may be there, even though the tendencies, and when I say tendencies, I'm not talking about in one category or the other, the tendencies to sin, the tendencies to rebel against God, the tendencies to move in a different direction. Let's say this is just deep within us to do our own thing, our own way. He said, but you become dissatisfied even with those tendencies that reside within you. The tendencies. Paul said, every time I try to do right, 
evil is always there. The thing that I would do, I do not do. The things that I do, I would not do. You see, why is it that I have a tendency? Because even when I hear the Word of the Lord, why is there a tendency to rebel against the Word that I just heard? Why is there a tendency that the Word becomes like water on the duck's back? We go to church. I was talking about church, quack church, a duck church. When you hear the Word of the Lord, you may say amen, but your behavior does not change. You go back to your old behavior. You're still a duck. Quack. Amen. Quack. But then you waddle away and not fly because the message was that you have wings and you can fly. But then you waddle away as if you cannot fly because the Word did not find its place within your heart. So now, look at what he is saying here. He is saying, so we begin to groan. We begin to groan. We groan within ourselves. We're dissatisfied within ourselves. He said, Lord, I, 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 feel, I feel that there's something more to life than this. That's the tug of the Holy Spirit. I feel that there's something more to life than this. I'm dissatisfied with people telling me I'm okay. And you get more of that in church. You get a whole lot in church. I'm okay, you're okay. You know, the affirmations because there's profit, there's profit to be gained when people are merely, informed, uh, merely affirmed. If all you get is affirmations, affirmation after affirmation, you're, you're great, you're the good, you're, you're such and such and such, you're this and yeah. Can you imagine the profit that can be derived from receiving? Because people like to hear good things about themselves. But I'm going to tell you the best news, is, best news that you could possibly hear is what God has in store for your future. It's what God has in store for your future. And what he is doing, and he says, so, so that as you live your life, you can endure the hardships and all the other things that you must engage in in this life because you have faith in him and hope in him that this corruption that exists in this life will one, be, one day be done away with. And that's what he says. He said, the day will come when I will deal with all that corruption. So, so our hope is that, Lord, if you promise this, but, but there's so much corruption, there's so many things that's gone wrong in life that, that sometimes it's hard for people to believe that there could be any other life than this life. So now he is saying here, he, say, he says, now we groan, we groan. Listen to this groaning. We intercede. We groan. We, we say intercession, intercession. What are we doing now? We mentioned we're one prayer away from a breakthrough. We intercede. We say, Lord, I want what I feel. I feel the discomfort, but I want this discomfort to be heavily measured against the hearts and the lives of people that are wayward. I want them to feel the weight of sin. I want sin to them to become exceedingly sinful because they're not feeling the weight of it as of yet. You see, they find justification for their behavior. They say, well, after all, this is, we mentioned, this is where I am, and this is the way I am supposed to do things. This is my truth. This is my truth. So my truth is as good as your truth. And, and you see how they measure truth based upon their behavior, and then they find, they find people that agree with them, and they find their company. They find a company that they can relate to. 
You see, these are my, you said, I just have to find my people. So now look at what happens here. So now we begin to see, but we, if we understand discomfort, that doesn't mean they understand the discomfort. They do not feel the weight of sin as of yet. They are looking for justification for sin, but we must feel the weight of it. You say, sinner, sin. Sinner, sin. That's what sinners do. But when we intercede for them, it is not a matter of saying, y'all need to stop sinning. No, I intercede that you come to the place of realizing the weight of sin. Because if I tell you to stop it, that's all, that's all surface change. It's all surface. You've not really taken this thing deep enough. It's not gone deep enough. It has to go beyond the surface so that it reaches the heart. If your heart is not changed, your behavior, uh, your change of behavior does not make a whole lot of difference within your life. Because all you're doing, you're reforming, and we're getting close to New Year's Eve, all these re re resolutions being made. But if without a heart change, those resolutions are just an exercise. I mean, it's just exercise futility. All you're doing is providing lip service. So now, look at what he said. You're being delivered. You're being, uh, he said, the bondage, we're groaning because we need what's called deliverance. We need to be delivered from the bondage of corruption. You need to be delivered from the bondage of corruption. Deliverance means somebody else has to free you from the bondage. You can't set yourself free. You can't just reform. You just can't say, well, okay, today I'm going to do things different. Today, today I decided to be a different man, a different woman. No, don't work that way. You need to be delivered. You need to be delivered. And only the Lord can deliver you. Only the Lord can deliver you. Wonder where Jesus fits in? He is our deliverer. He must deliver us. He must deliver us. And he delivers us from this place to place us in a different place. Being delivered from the bondage of corruption, he says, so we groan, we labor with birth pangs together until now. This thing of, of labor, labor pains, it is, it is women, you understand, the birthing process. It's when you go into labor. When you go into labor, you, you see what happens before you go into labor you, you didn't feel that much of a pain. The baby's kicking, but you still don't feel the depth of that pain. But when you go into labor now, I hear that there is no pain that's greater than labor pain. That's what I heard. <laughs> I, I told him, I said, I said, it couldn't be any worse. I had some, uh, I, I had some implants, and I had it all done in, in, in a rapid period of time where they put those implants in, begin to drill into the bone. The doctor came here. I had to get about 28 shots of, 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 of that Novocaine and all that. In one day, my head was about, I had two heads. I had one head over here and one head over there. So, so, and so I'm wrapped up and I'm in the room and I'm hitting my head against the wall. And I said, look, I said, if this thing, if I didn't think that I was going to feel better after a period of time, I said, I would be suicidal. I said, because there couldn't be any pain worse. But they tell me that, <laughs> is it that bad? <laughs> Women, tell me now. Tell me. Tell me. Tell me <laughs> is it that bad? Is it, is it worse than that? That you say, I'm ready to die if I have to die. But, 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 but he talks about birth pains now. He said, but the birth pains are such because you know that delivery is on the other side. 
after the birth pains, there is a delivery. And when you see the baby, then that, I would say, when that baby shows up, you say all the pain that you had to suffer was worth it all. So now, look at our posture. Look at our position as saints. We are interceding on behalf of others. We mentioned one prayer away, one prayer away from seeing something happen. If we are yearning and groaning that lives be transformed, we are yearning and groaning. These are spiritual birth pains. I would say, church, we must go into labor. We must go into labor. When we go into labor, and the only way to go to labor is that you must, you, you must be in a place of intercession where you desire to see change occur within the lives of people to the degree that you would not settle for anything less. Birth pains, birth pains, unto now, unto now. So we, 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 we are, we are the birth pains together, and he said, and, and unto now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. Nature is groaning. Nature is groaning. And then we ourselves are groaning, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Not just because we're tired of this futility. We're tired of the limitations that are placed upon us to fully express what God would have us to express. We cannot really. I have more in me than I can put in words. I have more in you. have more in you. I was talking we were at, at the home, at the uh, funeral yesterday, uh, at the memorial. It was, there was more in Marcus than that which he expressed. There's more in you than you have expression to. Did you realize that? That, that the reason you're here is because you, you, there's something in you that's tugging at your heart that would make you desire to see something that you've not seen before. Now, if you go to church merely to hear your familiar, that's a whole different category. But if you're here to be challenged, it's because there's something in you that has not been given full expression. And the Word of God is here to draw it out of you. The wisdom of God is here to draw it out of, your, out of you. So, so what happens? We groan, we eagerly wait for the adoption, the redemption of the body, for we were saved in this hope. He saved us with hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. So why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. So we mentioned this is what God provides for his people. Now we begin to look at this birth that took place. We see the coming of the Lord. It was a time when the earth was at its deepest point of darkness. It was at a time when sin was rampant all around. You see the situation, you see the conditions? Now we begin to see this, this parallel between the physical and the spiritual. It was like that. It was that kind of environment that Jesus Christ came into. And you read that as you go into the ninth chapter of Isaiah, which I'll cover later on, or maybe I'll cover later on, but we begin to see where the gloom, the darkness, and all of that was so deep that you would wonder, is there any hope for 
uh, any hope uh, in regards to the future of humanity. Part of this for these next few minutes, and let's look at what happened with Jesus Christ or what happened during the time of his, uh, when Mary was going into labor. Here in Luke chapter 2, verse 4. Luke chapter 2, verse 4. It says, Joseph after also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. They had to go back to their uh, birth residence or their former residence in order to pay their taxes. So here they're paying their homage, they're paying their taxes, so they're going back to, they went from Galilee, that's where they were staying, and they went out of the city of, out of the city of Nazareth where uh, they, they resided then, from Galilee of Nazareth into Judea, and they went to the city of David, that's birthplace, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the lineage, the house and lineage of David. They had to trace their origin to go back to where their family came from. He says, to be registered with Mary, he was to be registered with Mary, bringing his future bride, his betrothed wife, who was with child. She's pregnant. Now, she's about to go into labor, but he's bringing her back to his family heritage, his family line, so that they could pay taxes, but she's with child. She's pregnant. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. Just so happened, while the time to pay for taxes was the time when she was about to give delivery to the child. They're going back. He says, and not only was she pregnant, she went into labor. And she brought forth her firstborn son. They didn't go into all the details, but you can see the picture now. Can you imagine, first of all, traveling that far while she's pregnant? That's a whole lot of weight to carry, isn't it? You're pregnant. You understand the inconvenience. You know how all the stuff you go through, craving and, and, and all of that. All that was going on with Mary. You have to see the picture. All you see the picture. And then he has to cater to her because she's with child. And then the mystery of it all is that, is that it didn't look like it was his baby. From all appearances, he's helping out and doing all this stuff. But then the question in the culture was, whose baby is this really? It, it would be a whole lot easier <laughs> if I was doing all this knowing that I was the daddy. But he's doing this, and the only information he has is that an angel came to him and told him that uh, this is of God. This pregnancy is of me. Embarrassed, I, I'm not getting into all that because of time. He said, with embarrassing situation, it would be a, a, a humiliating situation. But here he is now, taking her back to his home. Uh, you could get laughed at, you could be scorned, whatever, ridicule, to give birth. And there she delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son. She brought forth her firstborn son. And she and wrapped him in swaddling clothes. Now, I'm going to help you understand what swaddling clothes are, rags. She wrapped him in rags. 
wrapped him in rash. This is the gift of God in a package comprises of rags. If you, I would think that the package ought to be some kind of way uh, reflective of the, uh, of the value of the gift contained within it. Can you imagine? If, if, if women, my wife has this, I, I'm different, I'm different. I, I, I say, here. <laughs> Some of you men can recognize what, I, what I'm saying. You, can, you got something, you, it could be a diamond, it could be anything. It could be, and you walk up and say, here, baby, here's something for you. I want, I want to give you something precious. But a woman, a woman would wrap that thing and tie ribbons around it and, 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 and bowls, you know, the, pretty paper, and, and, and when we get it, what do you do? Just tear into it. Just tear, just tear, tear into it. Anyhow. So why go through all the trouble? I just say, look, just here, here. <laughs> but, but, but the gift was wrapped in rags. The gift of God was wrapped in rags. It was wrapped in rags. Not only was it wrapped in rags, the gift wrapped in rags, it was laid in a manger. You know what a manger is? That's laid in a feeding trough. Was laid in a, so now you have the gift of God wrapped in rags, laid in a feeding trough. That's the placement of the gift. And then the reason is because there was no room for them in the end. There was no room there was no vacancies within the end. They did not make reservations. They were not expected to show up. Are you saying this? There was no flashing lights. There was no fireworks because Jesus Christ had come. But we see him in the barn. We see him laying in a feeding trough wrapped in rags. Why? Because all of the rooms were already filled. All of the rooms were preoccupied. They were preoccupied. Now, the question is, we begin to look at it from the natural to the spiritual. How many rooms in our hearts and in our lives are preoccupied so that when Jesus shows up, there's no room. There's no room. Too much activity already going on. Too many things already you're engaged in. If you had known that it was Jesus, you want to give him an upgrade. Have you gone to the hotel? What, what happens? We go to hotels, at, especially on our vacation. We tell them, say, we, we are uh, anniversary. We said, we've been married for 40 some years. We've been married for 40 some years. And we tell them, we tell the person front desk, he said, and it's been a long time since we had a vacation. That's Francine now. It's been a long time <laughs> since we had a vacation. And, 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 and can you give us the best room? Can you give us the best room you can find? And they say, tell you what I want to do for you guys. He said, we're going to give you the, we're going to give you the uh, what do you call it, the presidential suite. We'll give you the, uh, 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 praise the Lord. I, I said, we paid, we paid 
on Priceline, the lowest price you could possibly pay for the room. But we got there because she found favor in the front desk that they gave us the presidential suite, even though it's a Priceline at a Priceline price. You know, so we walk in there and we say, wow, look at all this. And we only paid uh, uh, less than $100. <laughs> for, the, for the president's but, but, but the point I'm making is that if you'd known it was Jesus, <laughs> he would have gotten an upgrade, right? He would have gotten an upgrade. But, but because you didn't know who he was, you put him in the, in the barn. You put him in the barn. Now, 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 now I begin to look at, figuratively speaking, this end, this end. What is that end? There was no room in the end. It's an establishment providing accommodations. And those accommodations uh, talk about food, drink, uh, food and drink, all the, other, all the other things that a traveler would need is provided at the end. A traveler has been traveling a long way, so the innkeeper takes into account the things that the traveler may need when he or she arrives. So you walk into the inn and you're treated as a special guest when you arrive. But there was no room. There was no room for him in the inn. No room for him in the inn. The time, here's what you look at, the time of his arrival had come, but no accommodations had been made for his arrival. When Jesus showed up, no accommodations had been made for his arrival. So, so I began to look at that. I began to look at that. And I thought about it. No accommodations. When Jesus came into Jerusalem as a man, he's coming in now to, to die. He's coming in now to establish himself in the 19th chapter of Luke. And then he says, you, even you, he wept over Jerusalem. If you had known the time of your visitation, if you had known the time of your, the hour of your visitation, if you had known that, that this is the time that the price is going to be paid for your sins, you, you see, you would have prepared the way. You would have been excited about my coming. He said, but because you were ill-prepared, I come into the city and you suffer ruin. You, you see, the enemy will build earthworks around you and you will be brought to, 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 to the ground because you did not know the time of your visitation, the time when I was sure. So the same thing. What am I saying here is that when the Lord shows up, as He is showing up now, we must prepare our hearts. We must prepare ourselves to receive Him. Don't think I'm the only one who have to prepare. I prepare a message to, to be delivered to you. But if you're not prepared to receive it, then that message would not have the same effect upon your life as it would be if you had been prepared. Not just a warm and fuzzy feeling concerning conditions. We talk about Jesus coming, and this is what Christmas is. You get warm and fuzzy feelings about Jesus, the day of Jesus' birth, and, and you get into it now. It, we say joy to the world, the Lord has come. But in this day, it's not just joy to the world, the Lord has come. Uh, Santa Claus is coming to town. You better watch out. <laughs> you better not shout. You better not cry. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. He sees you when, I forgot the word, when you're sleeping. He, he knows when you're awake. 
He knows when you've been bad or good, so be good. Why? For God's sake. For God's sake? No, no. For goodness, just for the sake of goodness. <laughs> so that's a whole different category, isn't it? Jesus is coming to town, and he's bringing more than, than a peppermint stick. <laughs> that's what I gave my mama every Christmas when I was a baby. Give her a peppermint stick. He's giving you more than a peppermint stick. He's giving you more than a bicycle, more than a little doll. <laughs> He's coming. We'll become aware of who He is and that He has, in fact, arrived. He had, in fact, arrived. Oh, I see my time, but let me just help you understand something about this gift. If I could just, if I could just get you to understand something about the gift of God, the gift of God. To understand, this is the most precious gift you could possibly ever receive in life. But you must understand the depth of sin in order to appreciate the, the value of the gift that he has to offer. If you don't know what sin, we mentioned already about corruption. We talked about corruption, but all through Scripture, it helps us to understand this corruption it is really the prelude to death. You see, we become corrupt, corrupted as it leads to death. Death, you see, that, that, that things, the secession, of, the secession of life where you no longer live. So the objective of the devil, you see, the thief comes, what? But to kill, to steal, and to destroy. That, that's corruption. See, he comes to, first of all, kill, steal, and to destroy. So, so in that, we understand loss, suffering loss. You see, stealing from us, killing, you kill, steal, and to destroy. You see, something that's corrupted or destroyed. He came to do this. But then he said, but I am come. Jesus has come to give you life and that more abundantly. Because when you think you've arrived at the place of life, he said, that ain't all there is to it. He said, you need a telescopic view of life. He said, life extends beyond the surface. He said, I've come to give you life and that more abundantly. So I'll close with this one and we'll just pick up next week on this. I think this might, I don't know, we have a theme for 2024, so I have to share on that the first of the year. But oh, I want to so much get this across to you. But here in Romans chapter 5, in verse 14, nevertheless, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. Who is Moses? The lawgiver. Even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam. We mentioned our origin being in Adam. He said, so death reigned, let's say, from Adam to Moses, who is a type of him. We understand who's the type of him who was to come, who was a type of him who was to come. So we see the, the origin, the lineage of it is a type of him, but the free gift is not like the offense. We see it in type, but the free gift is not like the offense. In other words, it's a type, but the free gift takes us beyond what would be typical of the type. 
He says, for if by one man's offense many died. You see, if you become the, if you inherited death because of one man's offense, he said, now we talked about that more abundantly. He said, I offer much more than, than what you uh, are being freed from. I'm not just getting you free from the penalties of sin as a result of Adam's transgression, but I'm taking you far beyond that. He says, so much more the grace of God and the gift of grace, of by, the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And he said, the gift is not like that which came through the one man's, uh, one who sinned, but the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation, for it uh, resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. Justification. I will justify you. I will make you, I will put you in a position as if you've never sinned. I will put you in a position, not only as if you've never sinned, as if you were Jesus Christ himself. That's what he said. Because if you've never sinned, it'll put you back to Adam. But he don't just take us back to Adam. He takes us all the way to Christ. Can you hear me? He takes us all the way to Christ. He said, if I, if I got you back to Adam, we would think that'd be enough. Go back to the Garden of Eden, naming stuff and eating stuff and the rest. He said, no, I ain't going to take you back there. I'm going to take you all the way to the only begotten Son who reigned with me throughout all eternity so that you'll be like Jesus Christ, <laughs> not like Adam. So, so we see much more. I've come that you may have life and that more abundantly. That's the life of Jesus Christ. Much more, much more. I like what he said that. Much more who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Through the one Jesus Christ. Much more, much more. So you'll be like him. We don't know how we will be or what we will be, but we know this one thing. When he appears, we will be like him. And we will see him as he is, not the way we like for him to be or the way we perceive him to be, we will see him as he really is. So Christmas is much more. See, I just have to shut it down at Christmas much more than just that warm, fuzzy feeling that you have when you see the Christmas tree and lights, snowflakes, and reindeer, Rudolph, it's much more than all of that, isn't it? Blitzer, Cupid, all them folk. It's much more than that. <laughs> it's much more. Blitzen. It's much more than that. Comet. I'm trying to think of his name. It's much more than all that. I tell you, when we come to understand the gift and the way the gift was treated, I can't wait to share that. The way the gift was treated, even after the gift came, came to his own. He came to his own people. They rejected him. But then that wasn't the end of the story. As many as would receive him, he gave power to become children. Ah, praise God for the gift that we can become the children of God.
So, Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that this word will find its place within each heart, that we will make room for him. We will make room, room for the Lord to enter into our lives, that whatever might have been a deterrent in the past, that this will be a time of opening our hearts, our lives to him so that he can rule and reign completely over our lives. So we thank you that we will approach this season differently than we might have approached it in the past. Here we understand love in a different way. We understand how you love us, that you would love us with the same love that you love your eternal son. That's a lot of love displayed towards sinful man. Not only that, but you gave him up for us. His life, his blood shed in order for us so that the penalty of sin would be paid for so that we can be declared righteous. And then you're working out of us all the things that we despise about ourselves so that not only will we be declared righteous, but the day will come when we will become as he is. So thank you, Lord, for this. And we give you the honor, we give you the praise, and we give you all the glory. In the mighty and matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God.